Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be continuing our series this morning on the law of God, and we're going to be looking at the third commandment. Exodus chapter 20, and beginning at verse number 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thundering, and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid, and trembled, and they stood far off. And Moses said, and said to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And so we're looking specifically this morning at this uh, third commandment in verse number seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in, the va- in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. As we've begun this series, we're looking now at the third commandment, and and you might be thinking, really? These are the list of things that God really cares about? Um, It it seems, if, if we're coming from a wrong perspective and we don't understand God's greatness and, and his holiness, uh, it, it can seem as if these are insignificant matters, but these first four commands, and maybe you've noticed that, the first four commands deal with our responsibility to God. And one of the things that we see sort of underlying or undergirding all of these first four commandments uh, is that God is concerned about his glory. Maybe you've noticed that and, and you've probably heard it if you've been here any time at all that, that our preaching and teaching ministry here uh, regularly emphasizes that our main purpose as creatures is, is specifically that we would glorify God. 
I know you've heard me uh, quote these catechism questions. You know, the one for younger kids, why did God make you and, and all things? He made me and all things for his own glory. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to, glor to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is our chief purpose, and we've tried to reflect that even in our mission statement. We exist as a church to glorify God, and we do that by growing disciples of Jesus Christ in community, but the main purpose is to glorify God. Our emphasis is such because we believe that the Bible clearly teaches uh, that God has this concern to be glorified. And, and far from any, you, you hear that and maybe you think that almost sounds narcissistic, that God wants glory. And, and it's true, when a human being desires all the glory, it is narcissism, it is, it is pride, because we don't deserve the glory. Right? When, when God desires to receive the glory, he's only desiring what is rightfully his. To him belong, he possesses, it is his, all the glory and all the power and all the honor. In the same way that, that you would think it was foolish for uh, me getting up and taking credit in some way for Daniel's musical talent, that, that would be weird and awkward. So it is when we or any creature seeks to take the glory that belongs to God. He's the artist. He's the creator. He is the one who possesses all glory. And it's our responsibility to give him that glory and to recognize it. But another reason that we make this claim that God is concerned for his own glory is when we look at these commandments and we see what God reveals to us about our obligation to him, as I've already said, we see something sort of undergirding all of these first four commandments, and that is that God desires to be glorified. In the first commandment, we see that God wants us to worship him, to glorify him, and not worship any other gods. Don't have any other gods before my face. I don't want you taking what belongs to me and attributing it or giving it to some other god. And the second commandment reiterates that first commandment, but then it goes beyond that uh, to, to, to demand uh, that when we do worship God, we not defame his glory uh, by creating some sort of image uh, that, that would be to, to replicate him or to in some way control the Lord. He's concerned that we worship him and that we worship him in the right way. Next week, we'll see the fourth commandment, Lord willing, and we'll see there that God wants us to set aside time uh, to, and he demands it, that we, that we rest, but that we also worship him as we ought. But this morning, we see in this third commandment that God wants us to glorify him by responding to his revelation of himself with the reverence and the honor that is due to his name. That's what this commandment is all about. God wants us to respond to his revelation of himself to us with the reverence and the honor that is due to his name. And so when God reveals himself to us, he, he doesn't want us to treat that in a way that is light. He certainly doesn't want us to, to, to respond in, in sort of a, a way that would curse, her, curse him or speak against him in a derogatory way, but beyond that, in any way that would carelessly make light of the Lord or the things that he has revealed about himself. Let's consider this commandment here. 
uh, just word by word here. He says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain to take or to take up uh, the Lord's name. This, this command, first of all, if we're just looking at it in a very narrow way, it is really a prohibition against uh, using God's name to swear a false oath. To take the name of the Lord seems to be most directly referencing the use of the Lord's name in a legal way to swear an oath. And Ligon Duncan says this, the beginning of understanding this commandment is to understand that at its heart we are being told not to take up God's name in an oath in vain. In other words, swearing to something uh, in the name of the Lord and, and it being false. But this command, I think, is more expansive than that. Almost immediately, the people of God in the Old Testament understood that God was cautioning his people uh, about using his name in any way that, that would be disgraceful. Uh, the Jewish people in the Old Testament time were, were so cautious of this command uh, that, that many of them, the religious leaders and so forth, wouldn't even write the name of the Lord Yahweh out. And so that demonstrates to us that their understanding was that God was intending that his name be reverenced, that it not be used in any way that is disrespectful. Of course, when they did that, they went beyond what God commanded there, uh, but it does demonstrate their concern for the name of the Lord. And he says, so he says, don't take his name in vain. And that word means, uh, vain means something that's empty or nothing or worthless or, or even false with no good purpose. And so Kevin DeYoung says this, we are forbidden, therefore, from taking the name of God, for using it in any way, uh, not just actually saying his name, but, but referencing or using uh, the name of God in a manner that is wicked, that is worthless, or for wrong purposes. And then we think about the name. Take, take, do not take my name, the name of the Lord your God, in vain. Of course, we know that that name is the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Moses said, who should I say it is that has sent me? And he's, the Lord responded, say it is, I am. I am that I am has sent me. And, and from that, uh, the, the, the term Yahweh uh, is derived. And so it's most directly uh, a, a reference to the Lord's name that he revealed to Moses, to, to Yahweh. But it's broader than, than even that. Giving our, our name is really um, one of the most fundamental acts of, of making yourself known. When, when you meet somebody, when, what's one of the first things that you do? Hi, my name is so-and-so. And, and what's your name? You might begin to talk, but, but as the conversation goes on longer, I just did this the other day. We are talking to somebody for a while. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I really didn't get your name. Uh, what, what was that? Because that's one of the fundal, fundamental, fundamental ways that we make ourselves known. We understand that, that a name is, comes to really represent who you are. Particularly in, in ancient cultures this was true, but it's true even today. Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. We all understand this. We, we all have concern and we've heard expressions like, I, I want to clear my name, or, or that person really has a good name in the community. We're not just saying, wow, his parents were really ingenious and came up with, a, with an awesome name. No, we're saying... That person's reputation, his identity is, is known in the community. And so it represents who you are. 
A name represents all that a person is and, and does. A person's name is so connected with our appearance and with our personality, with our character and with our actions that it's really impossible to separate them. And that name comes to represent in some ways all that you are and all that you do. If I began to just say names right now, uh, Mark or Bill or Kyle or Susan or Jennifer or Sharon, there are people who are coming to your mind. There, there are probably uh, things that they have done or, or individuals that you know and, and you begin to remember their character or some of the things that they've done. All of us have probably experienced that when we were naming our children uh, and someone suggests a name to you, you're like, oh, I can't never name my kid that. I knew a so-and-so, and, and when I hear that name, I think of their personality, I think about how mean and ornery they were, I think about some of the things that they did to me, and I could, it's a great name, but, but that name has come to be associated with this character and with this personality. So God's name, if we think about it in this way, stands for everything that He is and everything that he does. When God revealed himself, he revealed his character. He, he revealed his power and his omniscience and his goodness and his faithfulness and so on. And, and then he revealed those things through his actions. There were acts, redemptive acts that he has done. But along with those things, he comes to Moses along with his covenants, along with the, the character that he's revealed. And he reveals a name and he says, this name is associated with me, all that I am and all that I have done. When we see the Bible, uh, the way that it speaks of God's name, we see that it blends these two things together. God's name is blended together with his character and with his work, who he is and what he does. So I'll give you a few examples. God's ability to protect his people is connected with his, his name. They're just blended together. Psalm 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And you see just blending together there. The name of the Lord's like a strong tower where, where you can be delivered from your enemies. But, but these two things, God's ability to protect his people is just said as his name. Psalm 20, verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. You see, what God does is associated with his name. Jesus, when he comes to make God known, we quoted this last week, but John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the arms of the Father, He has made Him known. Jesus came to make known God, and, and Jesus says what He did in John 17.6. This is how He classifies His work of making God known. In John 17.6, He says, I have manifested Your name to these that You have given Me. I've revealed your name to them. Did he just come down here and get his disciples and say, let me tell you God's name? No, he came and he revealed God. He, he made God known. He made God's character known. He, he revealed who God was and what God was doing in, in a way that was more full than God had ever done in the past. But it could be spoken of revealing his name. So when we talk about taking the name of the Lord God in vain, we're, we're, we're talking about more than just a title. Yahweh or the the title God or even the name of of Jesus God's concern here is not merely a title per se it certainly includes that but it is broader than that in this command he is concerned that he 
and all that he has revealed about himself would be esteemed, reverenced, respected, held in honor, glorified, and praised. God means for us to hold him in high regard. And that's the way that we need to think about this command. It isn't just a very narrow command. It's a broad command that we would look at God and how he has revealed himself, what he has said about himself, and that we would hold it in high regard. Let's think of a few ways, secondly, this morning, how we break this command. And as broad as this command is, we need to understand that there are many ways uh, that we may potentially uh, fail to keep this commandment or that we may break this first and again I'll say that the, the primary way that we do this is, is by taking a false oath in fact Levitic, Leviticus 19 reiterates this command and it says this you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God I am the Lord so here in Leviticus, when he's reiterating this command, uh, he, he specifically targets and says in an even clearer way that he's talking about taking a false oath, that is, swearing to the name of God and then saying something that is not true. If we're in a position in which we must swear under oath for something, this means that we should tell the truth and, and that we should uphold whatever that we pledge to do. And maybe your mind immediately goes to the New Testament and to Jesus' teaching where he says, do not swear at all, either by the temple or the gold in the temple and, and so forth. But Jesus there, we understand, is, is as he so often is in, in the Sermon on the Mount, using hyperbole. He's not saying, I don't think that we can never take an oath. Uh, but what he is, is doing is, is encouraging us and, and exhorting us that we should be the kind of people, that we should avoid being the kind of people, rather, who constantly feel the compunction to swear. We're, we're always trying to buttress what we say and prove it and, and get people to believe what we're saying, and so we just loosely and carelessly swear. You know, I'm telling you the truth. I really will do this, you know, and then we swear in the name of God that we will do that. And I think that's what Jesus is cautioning us against. One of the things that you notice is that people who, who do that so often are, do it precisely because they take their words so lightly. The reason that they are, are forced to swear upon things and swear on the name of God is because they so often say things that are untrue. And what Jesus tells us to do there is simply be a truth teller. Let your yes be yes and your no be no and then you won't have to uh, be the type of person who's constantly swearing in the name of the Lord. We need to be careful about that. Secondly, uh, another way that we can break this command is by cursing God. This command prohibits cursing God or blaspheming Him or speaking of Him in derogatory ways or ways that overtly call into question or mock anything that He has revealed about Himself. And perhaps this is not the, the sin that would be uh, most... Uh, apparent for many of us, at least I hope not. This is usually a sin that might be reserved for the most hardened of sinners, the, the people who the Bible refers to as a scoffer. A scoffer is someone who's so hardened in their rebellion against God that they would dare to directly assault God and his character by making light of him. 
You think back in the Old Testament, there are some people who, who did that. The king of Assyria in the book of Isaiah. You remember he sends his, his man and, and they just verbally assault the soldiers of Israel and say, listen, no other God has ever been able to deliver any of their people out of my hand and your God, the Lord God, will not be able to deliver you out of my hand as well. Isaiah 37, 4, this is what it says. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Do you hear what he says here that they have come to mock the living God? And this is what we're talking about. You hear people sometimes who are so hardened in their sin and so opposed to God that they will make light of Christianity, that they will make light of the Word of God, that they will scoff at the things that the Bible teaches. Proverbs 14, 9 says that the fool mocks at the guilt offering. He sees the people going to make their offering to the Lord and he mocks at it. And 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter speaks of those who, who mock and scoff at the idea that Jesus is going to return. Oh yeah, Jesus is coming back. They've been saying that forever and it's, it hasn't happened yet. It's, it's not going to happen. That's, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here, mocking or scoffing at the things of the Lord. Let me give a, a spe specific warning here to children in, in our congregation. Sometimes children who grow up in church but who never come to saving faith in Christ are particularly susceptible to this heinous sin. I've seen children who, who grow up hearing about the Lord but who end up mocking everything that they've ever heard. And, and sometimes they even do that while they're still in the pews. Their, their parents make them be here. And so they're, they're listening to the sermon, they're hearing the songs, and they're seeing what's going on. And, and inwardly, and sometimes even outwardly, they're scoffing at everything that's being said. Later, sometimes it's, it's later in life. There's a growing movement of people. If you're on social media, you may have seen some of this. There are some people who, are, who, who have their deconstruction stories. You know, I grew up in, the, in, in church and it was horrible. Let me tell you all about it. All of the stupid, ridiculous things that we did. Can you believe that our parents would, would force us to do this? Could you believe that we would sing these songs, that we were taught this about sex or that this happened? Uh, there are, listen, there are some people who, who have been abused in some ways in, in church life, uh, and, and they're reacting to that. But many of these people are just hardened in their sin and their rebellion against God, and they're scoffing at the things of the Lord. And children, you need to be careful about that. You need to cry out to God right now and ask God to deliver you from growing into someone who would scoff at the things of the Lord. This is a dangerous thing. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You may do that for a while. You may think that you're older and you're wiser than your parents and that you know that all of this is just a bunch of hooey and, and that this is ridiculous. Uh, but listen, in the end, you will understand God will not be mocked. Proverbs 19.29 says, Condemnation is ready for the scoffers. And in that passage in, in Peter, where they scoff at the idea that Jesus is going to return, and he goes on to say this in chapter 3, verse 7. He says, The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction 
of the ungodly. If you are a person who scoffs at the things of the Lord, there is a coming judgment day, and God will have the last word. Thirdly, we can break this commandment through profanity. When we hear the phrase, using the Lord's name in vain. That might be the first thing that you think about as Jared prayed earlier. And, and typically when we grow up in sort of the setting, I, I know in my mind that's just using the Lord's name in vain. That's what it meant, using it as a swear word, using it in, in, in that way. Certainly this command does prohibit that. It's, it's not directly referencing that, uh, but it certainly includes that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no place for using God's name, the name of Jesus Christ, or any reference to any of the things of the Lord in a way that trivializes either God or what he has revealed about himself. We, we with this one, the, with the, the previous one about mocking God, there's a malicious intent, but here there can be no malicious intent, and yet we can still anger the Lord by breaking this command. If you, if you speak of the Lord in any way that trivializes His name or His character, you are breaking this command. Listen, if you're here this morning and you care about the Lord, you, you love the Lord, and you hold Him in high regard, why would you ever throw His name or the name of our Savior in to just make a point, to express your anger or your excitement? That is using the name of the Lord in a way that is of no good purpose. Fourthly, we can break this command by treating lightly or treating with contempt anything that's associated with or bears the name of the Lord. God places his identity, his name, and, and identifies rather with, with certain things. There are ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism. These are things that God has placed uh, 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 his name upon and, and that he's identified with. The church is an institution that Christ founded. And so reverence for God's name by extensions, extension demands that we reverence all that is associated with him. You understand this, don't you? When you do some work, say you start a business, so often when men start a business, what do they do? They put their name on it. And they begin to identify with it. And if there's someone who is speaking bad or speaking poorly about their business, they take it personally, right? Because I'm identified, I'm associated with this work. And so it is with the Lord. If we disparage or any way treat trivially things that are associated with him or the works that he has done, we're breaking this commandment. And you can see that in the catechism that Jared read earlier. It asks, what does the, the third commandment require? And it answers, the third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. It's broader than just his name. There's a fifth way that we can break this commandment, and that is through false teaching. There are many people who speak as though they are speaking on behalf of God. They, they come in the name of the Lord. They call themselves pastors. They, they, they lead God's people. But the message that they offer is not a message from God's word. They, they, they act as if they're speaking on behalf of the Lord, but the things that they are saying are not from the Lord. We need to be careful about this. Exodus 22, verse 28 says this, And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, 
seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. Jeremiah speaks at, at a similar place, and he says, For I have not sent them, the Lord declares this, For I have not sent them, but they prophesy falsely in my name. They prophesy falsely in my name. We could look out and we could see in our culture different ways that, that people do this. There are cult leaders. Every cult that is started always starts with someone who gets a revelation, a, a divine vision from the Lord, supposedly. But what we find out is that their teaching contradicts what God has clearly revealed in Scripture. But it always starts there. God showed this to me. God sent an angel to me. I had a dream, and this is what God wants us to do. And we just need to be careful. Christian, you need to be careful about anybody who comes to you saying, I had a dream or a vision, and, and they begin to speak about things that God has not clearly spoken. That's just part of Christian maturity and, and growing in discernment. When, when you hear those kinds of things being said, your, your, your antenna needs to go up. You need to understand that what's being said uh, very likely is not from the Lord. And these people are taking the name of the Lord in vain. They're, they're claiming to speak for God when God has not spoken. There are prosperity teachers who, who say things that God has not said. God does not want you to be rich. God may not want you to be healthy. In fact, very often, God brings trials into the life of his people. Even the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. We've got to be willing to forsake everything to follow Christ. Following Christ is not a recipe to become rich and healthy. It's not a way to, to grow your financial wealth or to grow your business. And, and preachers who come in the name of the Lord and tell you these sorts of things are using God's name in vain. Thirdly, there are compromising teachers who contradict what is clear in God's word because it's not popular. They feel that they have the right somehow to, to contradict what God has said, and they do it in the name of the Lord. Sometimes they do it in the name of Christ. You know, I look to Jesus, and when I see Jesus, I just see someone who is so loving that he would never do that. He would never condemn anyone. Really, because that's not what, when you actually read the Gospels, that's, that's not what Jesus said at all. And so when we speak in those ways, when we take Jesus and we take his name and we sort of strip it of what he has said and we begin to fill in our own ideas and, and what we like, we need to be careful. We're breaking this command. We're taking the name of the Lord in vain. We need to be careful as teachers and those who would, who would dare to speak on behalf of the Lord. It is a great responsibility. In fact, James tells us that, that teachers will be judged with greater strictness. And listen, that, that doesn't matter. I'm not just talking about me or Jared or us, those who are preachers, uh, those who are pastors who are preaching here. I'm talking about if you're teaching Sunday school, if you're teaching your children, you need to be careful that what you speak in the name of the Lord is really what the Lord has spoken. Six, we can break this command by wrongly attaching God's name to ourselves and our own ideas. We, we can do this in a, in a number of ways. Again, this comes from that same impulse to speak on behalf of God, but what we're saying isn't truly from the Lord. Sometimes that leads to people who are completely false teachers, but there are other ways that, that we may be more susceptible to that. For instance, legalism. Att attaching 
God's name to some rule or some standard that God has not set is using the Lord's name in vain. Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus condemned the religious leaders of, of his day for this. He said, in vain do they worship in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That they were teaching things as if they were from God, but they were human ideas. And we've got to be careful in the church that we don't do this. You, you may feel a conviction. Uh, you may feel a personal, you know, I, want, I think I should do it this way personally and not that way. But we better be careful not to say, the Lord commands you that you do this that you wear these certain things or that you don't do this activity or that you don't go there. Now, if God has said that or it's a clear implication from his word, then, then we have liberty to speak on that matter. But, but when we begin to take our own ideas and maybe our own personal convictions and, and put them out there as if they're from the Lord, we're using his name in vain. There's legalism. Pastors can do this in ministry. Pastors, and, and maybe you've seen this done, and maybe you didn't even realize that was happening. Pastors can so closely align their own ideas, their plans, their initiatives with the name of God that, that aren't things that really God has clearly laid out. You know, I believe the Lord is leading us to, to collect $500,000 so that we can build this new building out here. And, and I really think the Lord is leading us to do that. And in fact, I think you all should give generously to do that. You see how easy it's, it is for me to begin to attach to my idea the name of the Lord so that now I've got an entire congregation that feels like if I'm going to be faithful to the Lord, the Lord wants this to happen. And, and so I've got to give. I've got to do that. I, I really can't question what the pastor has said because the Lord led him to do that. We need to be careful about doing that. We can do that in, in ministry. In recent history, this precise thing has, has become an atool, a tool of abusive pastors and church leaders. Pastors have acted as if they bear the name of the Lord in such a way that it means that if you oppose them in any way, you're opposing God. This has been used to coerce, coerce people to do everything from voting a certain way in a business meeting to having an affair. And it all comes because I'm God's man. I'm the Lord's anointed. I, I am God's person to lead this church. And so you should do what I say for you to do. That's bearing the name of God. It's taking up the name of God in a way that is vain. And we can do this as well through using God's name as, as a means of personal gain. For some reason, people feel so compelled all the time to add Christian to everything, don't they? This is a Christian business. I'm a Christian musician, a Christian artist, a Christian author, a Christian mechanic, a, a, a Christian lawn care worker. Uh, listen, if you do that because you love the Lord and, and you want to, to, to serve Him in a way that's faithful, in a way that gives glory and honor to Him, that, that's good. But if you're doing that because you feel it might open up a certain market to you, and, and kind of help you get some business. People are looking for somebody who does lawn care, and this one's got a fish on it, so I'm going to go with them. If you're doing that as a marketing strategy, you're using the Lord's name in vain. Politicians do this all the time, don't they? I'm just a good Christian person. I just want to tell you about my faith. You know, and, and they're doing that so often. 
I don't want to judge their hearts, but what I've, from what I've seen, it is clear that many of them have no concern about the Lord. There doesn't seem to be any legitimate, you know, I'm a man of faith. I don't see any legitimate fruit or evidence of, of, of authentic faith in Christ, but they're doing it to sort of garner support. That's a breaking of this command. It's using God's name for no good purpose. Seventh, we can break this command through heartless worship. When we enter into prayer or song, taking the name of the Lord on our lips, and we do so in a way that is empty, in a way that is disconnected from from a true desire to worship God, we can be guilty of this. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 8, this people honors me with their their lips, but their heart is far from me. We're kind of like sometimes children Maybe your kids never did this. All of our kids do this still sometimes. Mommy, they don't do it to me, but they do it to Bonnie. Mommy, 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 mommy. Right? We're just relentlessly saying their name. What, what do you want? Uh, I don't know. Never mind. Right? We, we need to be careful in, in worship that we're not just taking the name of the Lord on our lips in a way that is really useless or, or to no good point or, or it's disconnected from a heart that genuinely desires to worship the Lord. Eighth, we can break this commandment by confessing Christ, but walking in a way that dishonors him. Jared mentioned this in his prayer earlier. All of us who who claim to be Christians, we have taken the name of Christ. We've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, We bear the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful that as we do this, that our lives match up with our confession in such a way that, that, that God's reputation is not diminished by our sinfulness. God condemned the Old Testament people for this in Romans 2.24. He says this, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What, what he's saying, you, you're supposed to be God's people, but you've acted so wickedly. And God's judgment has come upon you in such a way that now people look at you and they blaspheme God because of you. We need to be careful that as as followers of Jesus Christ, that would not be true of us. Unfortunately, so often it is. How many times have you heard people say, I would never go to church, I would never be a Christian because I work with so-and-so. I know these people who profess to be Christians and they're the furthest thing from, from good people that I know. Lives of sin bring disgrace upon the Lord. We need to be careful in this manner. Sometimes our sin brings even God's discipline and this reproach, uh, and and this brings reproach upon the name of the Lord. I I read and saw this and I thought it was interesting. This is Ezekiel 36, 20. It's talking about God's judgment on the people and how God took them out of the land and and dispersed them uh, in exile. And this is what it says. But when they came to the nations in exile, he's talking about wherever they came, they profaned, they profaned my holy name in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. You see, they had so sinned and rebelled against God that God brought judgment and discipline on them. And, and then as they went into these other nations, people were scoffing at them. This, these are supposed to be the people of the Lord, and yet they've been ejected from this land. We need to be careful that we don't live in such a way that, that our confession and our life uh, are, are so out of sync 
that we bring disgrace upon the name that we bear. Ninth, we, we falsely, we can profane the name of the Lord when, when we falsely profess to be a follower of Christ. To take the name of Christ upon yourself when in reality you are not following him is, is using his name in vain. Perhaps you're here this morning and you claim to be a follower of Christ but for some time in your heart, you know that you're not truly trusting in Christ, that you have not believed in him. Listen, the, the act of continuing in that sin, even this morning, to pretend that, that you really are following Christ is really just breaking this commandment and it's adding one more sin that will condemn you. You should repent of that this morning and believe in Christ. What we see here, thirdly, that Christ redeems us. We, we talked about in those introductory sermons how the law of God is, is, has a ministry of condemnation. In Romans 3.19, how it says that the law of God was meant to come and, and expose our sin so that every mouth may be stopped. And we see here in this passage of Exodus that, that the Lord will not hold him guiltless, the one who takes his name in vain. And if, if you've been reflecting on these ways that we can take the Lord's name in vain, I, I think every one of us would have to say there are many times and in many ways that we have done that very thing. We have taken God's name in vain. How does God respond to us in that? How would you respond? How would you respond if you, maybe that happened to you, maybe it was in high school, right? And, and somebody says, hey, what's your name? And you begin to introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about you, only to find out that they're mocking you. Uh, they're, they're, they've taken your name and twisted it, and they've given you some derogatory nickname, and, and you, the things that you told, uh, told them about yourself, they've taken and twisted those and, and made you out to look really stupid. How, how would you respond if you had revealed yourself to some people and, and then they, they profaned your name? They, they took your name in vain or they mocked you in that way. Well, I think most of us would pull away. We would say, okay, I'm not talking to those people anymore because every time I open my mouth, every time I tell them something more about myself, uh, they simply make fun of me. And, and so I'm not going to talk to them anymore. But think about what God does to the people who have profaned his name. He revealed himself and, and humanity so often mocked him. They've rebelled against him. They've taken his name in vain. And what does God do in response to that? He reveals himself even more. He, he continues to make himself known progressively more and more uh, over time. He, he revealed to us another name. That is the name of Jesus. Going back again to that passage that I quoted earlier from John, uh, John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time, but God, the only begotten Son who is in the arms of the Father, he has made him known. So how does Jesus respond to us in the fact that we have profaned his name? Well, he reveals even more about himself. He gives an even fuller revelation of himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And we find that when he gives a name to Jesus, a human name, he names him Jesus. That means the Lord saves. And you remember the passage, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And we find out that in this name, it is the name that brings salvation. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
So how should you respond? Maybe you've heard this this morning and you recognize, okay, I've broken this commandment. God has revealed himself. He's made a way of salvation. And how do we respond? Well, we respond, first of all, by believing. Whoever believes in his name will be saved, John tells us in John chapter 3. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, will be saved. That's what you need to do this morning. If you have profaned the name of God, if you have treated the things of the Lord lightly, with, used God's name with no good purpose, you need to call out to the Lord. You need to call on the name of Christ and be saved. And when you do this, I think what we see is that God transforms our heart. That was the other thing that Christ does for us when it comes to the law. He, he gives us a new heart. And that's what exactly he does. He gives us a new desire, a desire to worship the Lord, a desire that he would be honored, a zeal for his name. Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, as we come to pray to the Father, one of the first things that we should pray is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. For people who have given their heart and their life to Christ, who have called out to the Lord for salvation, he gives you a new desire that Christ's name, that the name of the Lord would be hallowed. And then we should live in ways that bring glory to his name. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, we said you bear the name of Christ. And listen to what Colossians chapter 3 says. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, to God the Father, through Him. So as you take the name of the Lord here, He's, he's actually encouraging you to take the name of Christ. Actually, Take it up and, and bear it, but do it in such a way that, that you bring honor to the Lord. Do it whether you're a mom or whether you're a husband or a wife or whether you work in, in some professional field. Wherever you are as a neighbor in the community, you take the name of the Lord with you and you ought to do and, and live in those ways in ways that bring honor and glory to the name of the Lord. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What he isn't saying there is, hey, if, you, if you're a Christian and you own a business, put a, put a fish on your bumper. You could do that, that's okay, but, but that's not what he's saying. He's not just saying, go around and every time you go, well, you got, I got a new job, let me introduce myself, I'm a Christian, right? You, you could do that, but he's not, he's not saying that. What he's saying when he says do everything in the name of the Lord, he's saying do it in a way that honors our Savior. Live lives that, that would adorn the gospel. Live lives that would point people to Christ. Live lives that would be acts of worship and honor to the Lord. That's what we're called to do. And then finally, our lips should be lips that praise God with sincerity. You see, when these commandments are given, they're given in the negative, but they always include a positive. If we're not to take the name of the Lord in vain, then we could see the positive is true, that we ought to take up the name and that we ought to praise the Lord. If we don't want to do anything that would profane his name, we ought to, we ought to say things that bring glory to God. As we close this morning, hear the words of Psalm 29 to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. That's what we ought to do this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we confess that so often we have taken your name 
and we've used it for our own interest. That, that we have borne your name as, as those who are your people and, and we have done it in ways that bring dishonor to you and, and that bring shame to you, God. And we want to call out to you in the name of Christ and, and ask for forgiveness this morning. We're thankful, Lord, that you've revealed yourself as our Savior, that you have revealed, uh, re revealed yourself as Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins. We need a Savior this morning as we contemplate this commandment. And we, we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us in the name of Christ. And we pray as, as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who have believed in him, that we then would do everything in his name, that we would do all of our, live all of our lives in ways that bring honor and glory to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.